Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of History After Hours. My name is Kevin Pumphrey, and with me, like normal, is Mr. Ron Franklin. Mr. Jeremy Nixon could not join us today. We are history teachers analyzing whatever pops into our minds. And on this episode, we spend most of our time looking at the Ukraine situation, trying to figure out what is going on, especially from a historical perspective. We also, that leads us into kind of a conversation about what we thought were the, like, as far as battles go, like the most influential, significant battles that really changed history. So we spent a little time talking about that. And then finally, we look forward to our trip to Italy and Greece that's coming up. And we talk about some of the things that we're looking forward to. So with all that, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Okay, it is now Tuesday, March the 8th, 2022, and this is History After Hours. Of course, we're going to talk about the situation in the Ukraine, and of course, things are changing daily. But let's, since we haven't really uh, had a podcast in a while since this has all erupted... um, Hey, can I... I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you too much, but let me start by saying this. Yesterday, Mm -hmm. so March 7th, 2020 was our last live podcast at Collective Coffee downtown. And at that time, the first question from a student was, so what do you think about COVID? (laughs) That was the last time we ever met down there. Yeah. What if we'd have said that? Hey, what do you think about COVID? Well, little do you know, this is our last podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We're about to be I hate to spill this on you, but do you, (laughs) yeah, cherish this moment because there will not be another one. I mean, that's weird that it's been that long. Right. Like I said, and, and we're recording today, but yesterday was that anniversary. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and we haven't done a, a like a live one like that. We've done a few things spaced out, gathered. Yeah, with we, students, have, we haven't but, been able to go down there, and we loved going down there too. And yeah. but but we still have the restrictions in place. I'm not even sure we could right. do that again. You know, as fun as it was, maybe maybe someday, but not right now. I don't think. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about doing these podcasts. I don't know how many years we've been doing it now. Seven. Seven. Something like that. Yeah. But you go back and listen to old podcasts, and you just want to tell yourself, boy, guess what's coming? <laughs> I bet you don't know. And now, who knows? I mean, like we're doing this about the Ukraine. We don't know what's going to be in another year. Right. So it's, you know, that's the thing about what we do and what we think about. Do like, you go back and listen to any of the old ones? I don't really, but sometimes I'll think about what we talked about. You know, Every and, now and then I'll bounce back and just check. You know, like, hey, what were we talking about here? And especially... That one, I've listened to that one actually a couple of times. What were what was on our mind uh, besides the COVID stuff? You know, so it's it's weird to see our perspective then as opposed to now. You know, two years into that story. Yeah, I remember in 2016 when the campaign was going on for Trump and Hillary, and we were so just. Well, I guess like, well, we started our third year, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, like some of that stuff. I remember our first podcast after Trump won. And we were talking about, is he going to jail? Like, they were already talking about him going to jail. And here we are, you know, he might run again here. Right, yeah. So, anyhow, okay. let's just think for a moment. Can you give us the elevator pitch, the potted history of how the Ukraine and Russia's relationship has kind of ebbed and flowed over the last... I mean, we don't have to go all the way the back to The last two weeks? Yeah, the Kiev... <laughs> yeah. Really, I mean... I Okay, I I... Didn't okay. So let me. I'll give us credit, but I also will critique us a little bit off the last podcast. We both sat here and predicted that Russia was going to invade, and we pretty much hit the time frame too. We said you know late February, early March. So we we got that. I said at that time. So I'll critique, I'll critique myself. I said I don't feel that Putin's ultimate goal was to try to take the entirety of Ukraine. I said I think that he wants that eastern side, and I think that we'll see you know. Well, I, it looks like I was wrong about that because he is hammering the entire country. But but I still will give us a little bit more credit on top of that, though, because I still think the ultimate goal is not to try to control the entire country like directly, maybe a puppet government, and I think we brought that up too. I don't see how you can. I don't see how you can control that government 
the same way that that they tried to control Afghanistan, the same way that we tried to control Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, like, uh, the insurgency mentality I think is going to really come up if if this comes down to it and and Kiev falls, and they do either arrest or or assassinate Zelensky and install some government that's loyal to them. Like, I just don't know that this is going to be over even after the military action's over. So let me just kind of start with by saying that. Well, can I ask you a question since we're just on that? Yeah. Do you think, is, and I just kind of, I'm just ballparking here, is there going to be a negotiate, there, eventually there's going to be a negotiated peace to some degree somehow. Mm. Um, do you think Putin will let, let's just say he's doing this, he's pushing into Kiev, he wants to take the country or whatever, but w- you think he would be back off and get and just as long as he got the, those eastern re- rebellious states, maybe a few other things. Is he is he trying to do more so then he can have a negotiated peace to to get? See, some- okay, that's that's where I want to go in my mind to think about the outcome here to overload here so that you can force a negotiation to get more of what you actually want, which is the eastern side. That makes sense. It it didn't make sense to me the overwhelming show of force to obliterate right. cities like Kharkiv and Odessa, which is down in the south. I mean, really, just it's they've been hammering it much harder than I thought they would. I was thinking influx, occupation, and then force some sort of negotiation without damaging too much because you. I mean, you've had a historic relationship with this country, Russia and Ukraine have had destroying it to get third of it maybe he doesn't care i mean i don't know uh, that's but I'm, i mean uh, i think uh, from a strategic standpoint maybe the overbearingness is to try to get more than maybe he thought he was gonna get originally i was watching the news and i mean i wasn't even watching the news it was just kind of on in the background and i saw like the little red tape where it said russian troops hitting odessa or i heard somebody say it and i was like of course, I'm the American history guy. I'm like Texas, <laughs> like <laughs> different, different one, different city. I was like, man, they just really accelerated. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, but they've but the the attack on the uh, the nuclear plant there oh, in uh, the southeast, How scary which is, is that? which is near the people that he actually wants to you know recruit into his system. If that thing were to melt down and have a you know, that's a catastrophe and the wind blows in that direction. So what are you doing? I mean, you're knocking out power to the large sections of Ukraine, plus maybe states beyond that. I don't know. Is that a great idea? I don't, I don't. So some of it, I don't get what he's doing. You know, is he, you know, you've seen in the news where people go, has he lost his mind? Mm-hmm. This doesn't seem as calculated as he's been in the past. This seems like a bludgeoning, but he, but I will say, that he was heavy-handed in in Georgia. He was heavy-handed with Chechnya and continues to be there, as a matter of fact. So maybe this isn't out of the ordinary. Maybe it's just a bigger zone, and now we're more aware of it because, you know, the talking heads are all over it. What is the... Can you give us the steel man argument for Putin and him thinking that this this is Russia, the Ukrainian mm-hmm. country, that, that that belongs to Russia? It, it has yeah, he, historically... That's, that was his, part of his argument, right? So just can you talk, walk us through just that, like, where... What are some things that makes him think that he can just do this, that this... That, that it's his? Yes. That it's Russian? Right. Okay, well, if I go back far enough, when we see the foundations of Russia, you've got a, a a city that was established by some of the Scandinavian people who moved in. It was a place called Novgorod, which is still there, by the way. And then you have a city that's on the, the Dnieper River, which is Kiev. And now, okay... I've uh, I've always said Kiev my entire right. life. I've, heard, I've always heard, heard that, Kiev but now everybody's the... saying Kiev. And I okay, so I, I get to looking at the spelling that they're using now, as opposed to the spelling that's on my map, K Y I V. If you're pronouncing it K Y E V, Kiev, like that makes sense. But I've never I've never seen it that way. So anyway, my apologies to Ukrainians if I've been saying it poorly. So and I I will probably slip and go back into my old habits, but you know I'm trying. Okay, so uh, Kiev has been. Um, a historically important city along that river that had lots of connections with the Byzantines who were down below the old eastern section of the Roman Empire that survived the fall of the West. 
and then they were sort of like this pipeline for information and travel and trade and uh, religiosity and right all all things. They're the first real Eastern capital city. Yeah, it's it's a it's 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 a well in Europe, right? Eastern right. European city. So it's a it's a big city, and it was it was populous and right. It was a it was a hub of activity along the river. Okay, well, eventually the dudes from Novgorod come marching down. This is the Rurik dynasty mm-hmm. in like the eight and nine hundreds, and so they come rolling about the same time Charlemagne and those boys are doing their thing uh, there, you know, in what's now Germany in those areas. Right. Uh, so they take over Kiev and they create the uh, Kievan Rus. All of that eventually molds out into what we know as Russia. So they've had this. You know, we have Mongol invasions and all kinds of things that they had to sort of pile together to help each other out. The linguistics are not exactly the same, but that doesn't, you don't have to speak They're the similar, exact same though. language. They're similar enough and they sound similar. Kind of like we are here in the United States, I think, to a certain degree, in that if if you have relatives who live in the Northeast and you have relatives who live in, like, say, New Orleans, right. they speak the same language, but they don't really. You know, right. I think oh, so yeah. it's something similar to that degree. I have relatives who live in Pennsylvania and some who live in really, like, South Louisiana, and they would have trouble understanding one another. Right. So that's, I think it's I think it's somewhat comparable. So to similar that. language, similar ethnicity, similar ethnicity. So Slavic ethnicity, of course. Like I said, modern day, there's a blending of a lot of different things. Uh, they were part of Russian land ownership under the imperial system. They now the further away you get from from Moscow and from Saint Petersburg, you know you have other influences that are there too. Other people mm-hmm. from other areas that have moved in, and you have cultural connections that may they may not have further east. And so maybe that's part of the draw too. I don't know how, you know, how tense was it here at any particular time. I do know that under the old Soviet system, uh, that the Ukrainians, as an eth- as an ethnicity on their own, tr- had trouble with the Stalinist system in particular. Right. Um, in thirty four, you know, we talk about the 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 food terror, the famine that that Stalin particularly imposed upon them which killed millions of people, some upwards of 7 million people, and they just hushed it up. Nobody talked about it, but they, he used food as a weapon because the Soviets controlled all the food, right? There's collectivization. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too deep in all of that. But anyway, but so they've had a, a, a mixed history, I suppose, politically. Are we you? Are we not you? Are we being treated well by you? Are we not? And right. the World Wars, like World War after World War One, when Russia... Yeah, got, so got part of that war. territory... Yeah, part of that territory fell to... Um, well, when, when Germany forced Russia to sign their separate peace treaty to end them to end Russian action in World War One, they laid a heavy toll. And part of the territory that, that Germany took was the Russian held what the Russian part of what's now Poland, but also parts of Belarus, a tiny bit of Belarus, and also parts of Ukraine. Afterwards, then you'll see reclamation of that, especially after World War Two, right. when when uh, when the Soviet Union gains large holds over uh, territorial gains over Eastern Europe and actually all the way up through, you know, uh, well, half of Germany, right? Since the fall of the Soviet Union, though, then Ukraine has been, I think, in a, in a state of flux, people wanting to be free and wanting to be more westernized, but but controlled by a government that was mostly loyal to the new Russian Federation, Right, yeah, it depends on kind of who their leader has been. Yeah, so they haven't really they... seen a major break until the uprisings in 2013 and 2012, well, really hardcore 2014. And that's when they, and I can't think of the president's name, I should have looked that up. But anyway, the, they, the, the people there... This is the pro-Western guy? Yeah, the, well, no, there was a, there was a pro... Yeah, go, it was went back Pro-Putin. and forth. Yeah, there's a pro-Putin guy that's in charge. Okay. Yeah. He's loyal to the Kremlin and basically, I don't want to say puppet, but kind of, right? Mm-hmm. The people tired of that and wanting more association with Europe, maybe even joining the European Union, maybe even joining NATO, rose up in in real sort of a democratic process and protested. And then when he cracked down on them, they rebelled and they lit the city up. And there's lots of there's I mean, I, you can probably remember like the, the right, city yeah. scene like they actually barricaded parts of downtown Kiev and they and and they were torching tires all the time and they had fireworks and bottle. I mean, they were actually fighting sort of street to street then with the with the government troops who were trying to control them. Well, the the president, and I apologize for not knowing his name, fled the country, ends up in Moscow. Right, I they overthrow that, yeah. him and they put a democratically westernized style government in place, and so that's led now to Zelensky's presidency. Mm-hmm. Right now, it, it took a while to get to him. Right, but anyway, yeah. uh, and then more conversation about this. So the fact that they've been pulling away from the Soviets now, Russia, 
to uh, become more aligned with the United States and with Britain and France and Germany and Poland and, like I said, seeking potential European uh, Union membership, mm-hmm. seeking potential NATO U- membership, has, I think, sent him over the edge. So, I mean, he has some historical claim because it has been part of Russian history. But at the same time, if we're talking about self-determination, they obviously at this point, especially from from the the river where the capital sits, westward like they're mostly pro-western as far as i know there may be scatterings of people who don't feel that way and then the further east you go the more they you know feel ethnically russian more speak probably more ethnically russian and want to join in at least maybe as a separatist country but maybe even part of a satellite system to the Mm -hmm. you know it looks like he's trying to rebuild some soviet territory but but the way he's doing it and and by forcing his hand and and completely lying about it too like these are things that we teach about every year about yeah. how dictatorial people take control and how quickly that can turn on a dime. Well, here it is in real action. Yeah. And I think that this has gotten a lot of kids' attention, even though you know we've seen this is not the only war in the world, and it's not right. the only yeah. it's not the only dictatorial person or group that's held power, you know, and and is, has done dastardly things like this that we oppose. It just happens to be the one that's most gotten their attention, I think, because it's uh, well, because it's so well documented, I suppose, on the news, you know. It's every, you can't get away from it. Yeah, not that you should, but still. Uh, but the the uh, censorship of the press and uh, and the and the falsehoods that are coming out the state run TV. You know, they interviewed uh, Russian people who are like, "This is not a war. We're we're defending Ukraine. We're we're helping them right, out." Yeah. You know, they, there are terrorists in the country, and and no, we're not bombing civilians. They're they're doing it themselves and blaming us. We're the good guys here. Well, wow. You know, they right. they have limited information to deal with so they don't even understand their own history i don't think because it's so so controlled you know right that's the thing is like people are controlling what they're viewing so it's going to skew you can't really listen to the, the people because they don't really know but it, it is good well, what do you the, think is what do you think his end game is then because I, like i said i'm i thought it was eastern side and maybe it still is but this is like possibly i mean he may just go for broke do you think he's really going to go past this well, they take the whole country and then, I'm trying to, and then I mean, how turn you, the corner and go on? I mean, I don't know. I mean, this could have been part of his whole overall plan overall, as he's slowly been since 2008, you know, with Georgia and the Crimea. He's slowly, you know, been chewing up land. And Is has, this a slow burn to the reestablishment of a Soviet, not, not Soviet system, but I mean, a, but the Soviet landmass? It's a smart way to do it if that if you have the patience well, and, and if it, there's an appeasement process, if everybody kind of right. goes, well, whatever. Well, that's the thing is you do it a little bit by a little bit. Like, you know, we, we, when we, every time you say uh, appeasement, I think of the lead up to World War II. Mm-hmm. Hitler made a lot of those demands. I mean, if you think about it, he took over in like 33. Well, at, in 39, we're in all that war, right. you know, and the Munich conference was 38. Like just very shortly, he was violating things, Anschluss with Austria and, the, you know, like – Putin's just doing a little bit here and then waiting four or five years, and a little bit here and then waiting four or five. You know what I mean? Like it seems like this is a smart way to do it. And I, I, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I'm hoping that this push towards Kiev or Kiev, however you say, it, it was it was just a play to get them to the table to give him something, to give him those eastern states that want to be more associated with Russian and don't want to be part of Ukraine that wants to be more pro West, but. I mean, it doesn't look like that. I've heard I've heard the talking heads say that he blundered, that he didn't expect the Western response or the Western resolve, and uh, or the or the fight that the Ukrainians actually had in them to defend themselves from this aggression. I mean, or the fact that Zelensky stayed in power; he's still in office. He he actually is making announcements from his office in the capital now. He did that yesterday. I wonder if he, I wonder if that's accurate that Putin miscalculated the resolve that would stand against him and now all the international sanctions. And we just read today at lunch that president Biden has declared that we will um, end our importation of Russian oil. And not, we didn't, we didn't import any gas, but we imported oil. Uh, the EU has mentioned the same thing. You, uh, Britain, the UK has mentioned the same thing. They'll weed themselves off of it. They can't just slam the door like we can. Um, but I just wonder, you know, I wonder if all those things are really going to make a difference or if yeah, he's just going to take the bite in the bullet because nobody can stop him at home anyway. And then when it all finally subsides, he'll just kind of like gear back up to do something else, you know, because we're not really, 
we're not really stopping anything. I think we're seeing also who Putin is. That he but didn't is you already someone, know, though? Didn't you already know? Everybody kind of knew, right? But this naked aggression, I mean, his, one of his, they say, they say, whoever they are, but I've heard like Peter the Great and Stalin were like two people he looked up to. And how much, the, the question is, how much is he willing to put his own people through mm-hmm. to get what he wants to get? Because it's not going to be long before a significant amount of Russians aren't going to have electricity, clean water, food. I mean, those are going away. And he had mentioned that sanctions, stopping the oil is like a declaration of war. Even for the bourgeois, the you know, I'm thinking about middle class in Russia. Like, you've now lost access to internet. Not that you had a lot of freedom there anyway, but you've lost access to. Netflix announced an end there. Uh, I think AT&T, I may be wrong about that, but but cell services possibly are, are like shutting down business there. Companies, of course, they uh, can't wire money, so they're, everybody's pulling yeah, Facebook, out. Facebook, TikTok has announced that Netflix, they're ending stuff there. Yeah, stuff. so I wonder if that's going to have any impact on people with money that he can't necessarily ignore. We've seized uh, uh, wealth and land and possessions from Russian oligarchs, some that are really close to him, including him, by the way. You know, how many of those people are going to put pressure on him? Will any of that matter in the long run? Or he was, will he say, toe the line, follow the party plan, listen to what I'm saying, you know, and then yeah. be, it'll be hard, but we'll get through it. I wonder it, if he's saying the same thing to his people, and can they weather that? It Maybe. could embolden him to just even be more desperate and yeah. do dra- more drastic things. Yeah, right. To get it over with quicker. Okay, so then... Uh, and that's, that's where the nuclear... That's, I was going to say, nuclear weapons. How, what do you feel about the possibility of that? Because I've heard that thrown out there, too. Yeah, I mean, that's the scariest thing. I thought we might be in a situation where we've kind of moved on, as that that wouldn't be a, even that useful. I mean, we have them, they have them. We haven't really been in a direct conflict with Russia in so long. Now this has brought back up all those old feelings of... I mean, yeah. that's just destruction on a level like we haven't seen. Here's... Okay. I remember the early 90s when I thought the Cold War ended. Right. <laughs> and everybody was like, hooray. And even uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, the, the end of the Cold War is our mutual success, you know, and we're all going to benefit. And we felt real good about it. And everybody thumped their chest and yay Reagan and, and America and all that. Well, now I, I've lived now long enough to go, damn it, like we're back. I mean, it feels right. like we're back to that. Yeah. Cold War competition. Right. It's, it, with the with the added threat of nuclear weapons, like we like it's it's that's been added back into the system too, seemingly. Right. I, yeah, I mean, like just about with with any of this. You remember when we were in Afghanistan for so long? You really feel for the Afghan people. Mm-hmm. I feel for the Russian people right. that are are being pulled. Yes, you know, as uh, pawns. yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't blame them. And I and I think about like how much will Putin make them endure? And you know, it's of course these are really tough people. These are these Eastern European people are can withstand a lot. We have seen that through history. But I wonder if we live in a different age now with the technology and communication, where it might be easier to protest, rebel, get your message out. Maybe there are ways that we haven't seen. Maybe there could be a whole espionage campaign to try to infiltrate the Russian communication service. You've got basically the world that you. Okay, so you got like China, who I was so worried was going to back Putin on this. Mm-hmm. That was my, I remember talking to y'all earlier, like them moving against Taiwan, supporting Putin, and they're moving yeah, against yeah, Ukraine. Yeah, you brought that up, yeah. But now it looks like uh, they're kind of distancing themselves. India has distanced. Switzerland, of all people, is actually supporting yeah, You have sanctions. stepped into some crap if, if you've gotten the Swiss to break neutrality. Right. So it's like the world has really pushed against, and I did hear somebody say, you know, something we don't know, and, and you know, Biden doesn't get any credit for this, is that Russia for the past year has tried several things. I'm not in the intelligence department. I don't know what they tried. But I heard two different people say that they've tried several little things to to try to cover for this. And the the Biden administration and its intelligence department has exposed these before he could do it. And then he was kind of left with, I either am going to do this or not. And that's why it looks so naked to the world. That that openness of our communication of of intelligence to the American public and to the world reminded me of the um, the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis when Kennedy right. came out and was like, hey, look, here's the real situation in real time. Like, this yep. is what we're facing. Don't be surprised when this and this happens. But so this is, yeah, but this has been going on for a while. Every step, like they, I remember, they would go, he, he's going to do this. So don't be surprised when he does this. And next thing you know, he's like, 
doing this. And you're like, see, we told you. And it's all of those things were coming true. And I think that's an, that was an interesting move on their part, not to hide that and to undermine. Maybe that's what helped pull us all together. Mm-hmm. That's what helped solidify the Western resolve to say, no, we're going to keep sending aid and and military packaging. And we're not defending. So we have an obligation to give um, humanitarian assistance, but we don't have an, an obligation to militarily defend them because they're not part of EU. They're not part of NATO. And, and we don't have those as much as you might want. I've heard kids ask this, like, why don't we go in there? Well, think about the lar- larger impact of an expanded war, especially with nuclear weapons being tossed around, potentially. Right. Uh, do you risk more people's lives? It 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 pains me to say you kind of have to let this play out in Ukraine, mm-hmm. but you kind of have to let this play out in Ukraine as best yeah. it's going to be for as many people as can survive it, and it's going to hurt like hell for a lot of people, and I and that hurts my feelings too. But... Like this, you want to keep it as you localized. don't want this to expand. Oh my God! And this is the thing. I know. I don't know if you heard what President Trump said in a speech just a couple of days ago. He said it was a joke later, but you know how this is. But he said that because he's listened to Sean Hannity, who kind of floated something similar to this earlier. But he said, you know, we know where the convoys are. Why don't we use our F twenty twos? Put a Chinese symbol on them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I thought. Wow. Oh, that's smart. Let's get Russia and China to fight a war with each other. I mean, and, like, and sit back and laugh. Okay, that's, well, that's uh, number one. They that's love nuclear com- weapons. That's completely illegal right. on the international stage to pretend to be somebody else's military. You know, I okay, but yeah, but can let's you get yeah, two but, superpowers to go to war with each can other? Can you imagine that? Yeah. So we don't want to go to war, but let's let them do it, idiot. Yeah, I think I know. <laughs> I, I think we should at least keep this as localized as possible. I think we're doing what we have to do, and. You know, I know any event that happens in American history right now, it it gets polarized and, oh, it's Biden's fault, or if, if it was Trump was president, this wouldn't happen, or whatever. It's like just like COVID. But I think what we're doing now, standing with the world, with sanctions and having this unity, and then and then doing what you can for the Ukrainian people fighting for their lives. Take nuclear weapons off the table and give me worst-case scenario moving forward. Without without going to that spot, okay. So just let's set, let's compartmentalize that. What's worst case scenario? Ukraine falls, and what? And he doesn't stop. And he doesn't stop. It's uh, it's Sudetenland all over again. Yeah. And then we have to go. Like he takes Ukraine, we all expect him to. Okay. He, he, Kiev falls. Zelensky, whatever happens. Okay. Poop. So, but. Poland, if he stops, Poland has negotiate. a lot. Half of Poland has, at one time or another, been part of Russia and or so. Oh, there's Union. a lot of lot of countries over there. Latvia, I mean, Lithuania, Hungary, Estonia, uh, hung, yeah, parts you, of Hungary. You can go yeah, down. So, where, where do you go from here? Is there more that you want? Is this just the opening round? And if we don't step in now, is it too late? Later? Is it already too late? That's how I don't. I can't imagine being the person who has to help make those decisions. Like we get to sit around and talk about it. And I'm interested in the outcomes, obviously, and I cry for the humanitarian crisis that is. But at the same time, like we don't have the pressure of going, how do we actually manage this and yeah. make it as 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 small as it can be, as large as it is. You have to figure out a way to minimize it and you make it be over, you know, right. or help it. I guess you can't make it be well, anything, but you can push it in certain ways. Well, you know the comparisons with the the Sudetenland and Czechoslovakia, right? The Anschluss with Austria happened basically with no violence, but the the whole propaganda was: look, we are similar blood, similar language. So, so we're just going to unite. What if let's let's hope that that's not this? And then he says, "Hey, let's just have a little bit of Poland." Let's what just if have- what if people in Poland go, "Let's join them." I mean, they don't, they could abandon NATO. They don't have to be. They don't have to stay no. as NATO members. What, what are the possibilities that some some countries that we are now allied with? Break that alliance and well, go on to the other side. I mean, like 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 Austria did in World War. I I'm mean, sure there are pro-Russian groups in Poland. I mean, people don't realize this that when Hitler went to you know during World War II when he invaded Russia, I think his biggest blunder as he was marching across Ukraine, many Ukrainians joined him, and I'm not most of them, but many of them did because. You know, Stalin had starved them out in the nineteen mm-hmm. thirties. Yeah, right. And so like many of them are like, well, that's nothing's worse than that. We'll join the Nazis against the Russians. Now, of course, as time went on, 
by far a majority of Ukrainians fought with the Red Army when they were going back and saw them as liberators mm -hmm. when they were coming back across. But it's like we, we draw these invisible lines and say, this is a country and they think this. Mm -hmm. And here's a country and we... But, you know, people are people. Mm -hmm. There probably are many people in Poland that, yeah, are pro-Russian and want this to happen. And then, you know, it's just like we can't, who's to say? But wow. we do have to respect international law. I never really thought about uprisings in the NATO countries themselves that might tear them apart, too. I don't know, man. Wow. Yeah. We learned, we thought we had it licked after World War II. I mean, we learned horrible lessons in World War I. We thought we kind of fixed it. In World War II, we, we had our alliance systems. We had the UN. It seemed to be, you know, weakening the Soviet Union. Eventually they fell. But it seems like those old problems are starting to rise back up, you know. But I'm hoping what, what you need to do is keep Russia isolated as much as you can from the rest of the world. We don't need and him and China to get on the what, same team. But see, I, but that's what I was saying a while ago in that I think— there was a time when I really felt that maybe they were ending their isolation and they wanted to join the West to some degree. Let's be on more friendly terms. Let's be helpful. But then that has changed this, this second round of Putin. I don't think he ever really went away to begin with, but so you right. had him and then you had Medvedev and then you have him back and he's, you know, he's, but he's become this, uh, he's become the guy. I don't, I'm I don't. Kind of, I don't doubt that he is the singular power in that country. Do you? No, I'm kind of suspicious of republics where they have a president that's reelected with an eighty-something percent approval rating for twenty years straight. Yeah. I mean, humans aren't like that. That's yeah. at some point you get tired of the guy. All political opponents seem to find All a political mis, opponents, mis, yeah. mis, mis, mishap finds them poison and death. Yeah, um, radiation. Yeah, yeah, and you know he's an old KGB agent. I mean, like, <laughs> so do you? So. Those was that all an illusion, or was there you know? Because you think about well, freaking McDonald's, McDonald's, the 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 symbol of corporate America essentially, right? Them and the other big name international companies, you know, Coke and what you can oh, name yeah. off all these. They were the first ones to go in. McDonald's was there's a McDonald's in Moscow in the early '90s, and you're like, look at this, this is different, this has changed, and and you can see the people were sort of embracing these things that they had been uh, had had not been allowed to experience. And it just felt like there was this, uh, I don't know, at least a at least a sense of mutualism, right? You know, but that's that seems over, at least not for the people necessarily, but for the government in particular. His government has worked hard to reverse all of those things. What is it about Russian leadership that why can't they get on board with the rest of Europe, with the West? What this, do, what do they this hate has been, about us? This has been their the tripping point for a lot of different times where. You know, they're in a weird geographic position. Are yeah, we are, Asian? Yes. Are we European? Are we something in between? Culturally, it's just, they're just, they're just a different, but but, but this, out of all the ethnicities that exist in Europe and, well, Eurasia, let's say, like, why couldn't they choose to be more open and progressive and more cooperative? I've I've never quite understood, especially in modern day, why they just felt the need to resort to isolation i get it back in the you know 16 1700s when communication is slow and transportation is slow and you're way over here and they're way over there and there's a big gap in between and and you know you can't they don't they don't get the enlightenment age the same way we do and they had millions yeah. and millions of serfs because they kept on they kept they kept feudalism, feudalism <laughs> until the mid 1800s you know mid to late 1800s as a matter and of fact and those people they suffered during world war 1 yeah. like nobody else and world war 2 fighting for their lives so, over there yeah so after all that calamity and out of all that misery based on their isolation and misunderstandings with the west why don't you put all that aside and go well, it's time for us to really be cooperative. But that has not happened. And I was under the illusion that it was going to happen. That's me. That's me. That's my mistake for being, you know, optimistic, I guess. But what sparked this invasion was Ukraine making yeah, motions yeah. like they yes, were going to yes, become exactly. more yeah, so Western. This is, obviously, this is not what they want, or at and least so that's it's not what the Kremlin what want. wants. I don't get it. Um, <laughs> I don't know why it's that you versus us mentality. It would, they Russia. would be better off, in my opinion, to join in with the rest of the world and let's all be... Like you, we could expand together, you know? It, why do you mm -hmm. have to... It's almost like they're mercantilistic. You know how they go, for, in order for us to win, someone has to lose. Right. That's a weird mentality, especially in a modern day. Think about what the Japanese people did after World War II. They had to just completely scrap 
their mindset, their way of thinking, the East Asians co-prosperity sphere that they, they did it in the mid to late 1800s too, because we showed up in '53 right. and they were still uh, they were under the Tokugawa shogunate, and they and they they transformed themselves from that really backwards and isolated group into an industrial powerhouse. By the time you get to World War II, and even though they have problems. It, just like China does with human rights and communism and all that. But even China has opened up to capitalism mm-hmm. and has done some things to become more... It's a state-controlled capitalism, which it is, is weird, but yeah. But they're, you know... It's, I mean, it works for them. You right. see how their economy's blooming. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying those are good things, but they have opened up to some yeah. ideas. But yes, it seems right. like Russia... They and might, when they did, they advanced. Right, oh yeah. I, I just don't get it. Why they? Oh, this is our land. I, I wonder mean, what the what? average Russian. Seriously, I wonder. I, I've never. I don't know anybody from Russia. I don't know anybody from that part of the world. I don't. I'm not. I'm just. I just never have been. Um, apparently, I didn't know this person, but apparently, we had a, a Ukrainian exchange student at one point. I don't think I've met them, but I just. But I wonder what the average um, Russian citizen thinks about their history in this moment. <laughs> you know, are they like, well, good, back to basics, or are they like, God dang, you know, <laughs> this again? I mean, I wonder. Yeah, I mean, when I think of, like, I think about the peop- Russian people that I, I know a few podcasters that I listen to that have a Russian background, arm wrestling and sports, obviously. But I think about how proud, they are a proud people. They sure. have this heritage. And, and that's one thing that Stalin, you know, when Hitler invaded, he had been communism, communism, communism. Hitler invades. He goes silent for two weeks because he didn't know what has just happened because they had a peace agreement. But apparently he got on the radio and the way he was able to galvanize Russia against Germans is like, okay, we're not going to talk about communism right now. We're going to talk about being Russian, mm-hmm. our shared heritage. And that, and we have these German invaders and we're going to come together as a Russian people. Maybe there's some of that still that just that pride in that ethnic group. I mean, that, I mean, of course, you, you know about World to, War One. You don't have to give up being Russian to be correct. understanding of other people and be non-aggressive. Like, why does your government feel the need to be aggressive? Is it because you... Are you... Is, are, is there an inferiority complex and you've got to, like, dominate? Is that... Is that... It seems to be Putin's strategies. Hmm. Like, you got to... You got to prove something. We are a superpower. We will rise again. Something. I don't know. Ah, it's some, there's so much at work there. I wonder you know? if it, it's hard for us to figure this out because we're here Probably. where we, we don't have this ethnic, hey, we're all whatever. <laughs> I mean, what are we? We're a melting you know, pot. We're, a, we're something. We're all a mixture of different cultures, which most countries are too. Well, we've promoted that idea, though. Like, that's very different than most places I've studied, especially in Europe. Like, our diversity is our strength. That's our right. national heritage, diversity. That's not their story in most of these places. It's very ethnically isolated, and there's a lot of hatred back and forth. And and maybe this is just a, another rise of that moment. I don't I don't know. Like I said, I, I, it's hard from our twenty twenty two brains that don't think about let's all get together because we're this. Yeah. I mean, we do unite as Americans based on a creed, based on the Declaration, based, based on natural rights and human rights and all that. But maybe it's different when you can unite through blood. Like this is this is our ancestors. Maybe. And I don't know. China did it, of course. Every every country's shown some of that. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, it's so, messy, though, right? It's a messy thing. You know, I think here's my best case scenario. He pushes a, f- yeah, that's a, that, a few that's, more days. That's what I was going to say. Okay, so worst case scenario, the what's best case scenario Best now? case is, it, well, the fighting stops right now. But best case, I would think, is him well, not taking <laughs> practically Kiev. Practically, then, what is the best case scenario? He pushes at Kiev. He shows all this force, but he backs off and has a negotiated piece where he just takes those eastern places and maybe some economic... Do you think there'll be this ultimatum, like, give me Zelensky and I will let you live? I mean, I wonder... I don't know if he's going to be... I don't know. I, you know, he could probably get that done without... He's got this real cowboy attitude, though. Yeah. You know? So maybe it's showdown at high noon in the streets. But if he takes Kiev... I'm not Then really, that, should, that tells you something right there. If he just... If he takes that city and says, okay, you're mine. I think if he bludgeons that city, that's, oh, that's a different story thing. than if he just occupies the city. Right, right. Targeting civilians has been really big in the news too. By the way, have you been seeing that? Yeah, like that. They're, they're that's these that's people so are trying sad. to flee, and you're watching them take uh, take hits from you know mortars and hit, missiles and shells and strafing from planes and helicopters. It's, it's, it's horrible. It, it, I hope though that 
What could we do more without crossing the line exactly. into, new, into uh, breaking our neutrality? How much I, more could we do, you think? I don't know, but I don't want to do much. I mean, I don't want to do anything that escalates this, right? Nobody does. But, you know, people can make these, like, little gestures. Do you, buy, of, do you buy the, the commentary from people that say he's lost his mind, he's crazy? I don't, I don't think so. No, I, I don't. I, maybe this does seem not smart. Maybe not. Well, but, I didn't say it was smart. I'm going to say, but do you think maybe now he's packed, packed himself into a corner and he's just going to lash out? I mean, maybe. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know where it goes. I'm not even going to predict at this point. I hope it. I hope that it can stop. Yeah, I hope he doesn't take Kiev, like, like bludgeon the city and just, but it looks like he's going to, and then I guess maybe take all of Ukraine. But that doesn't, but you're, I, you're you're going to be then. Now, what do you say? How do you the, justify the that? punishments are going to continue against him from the West and for maybe globally, um, and and I think that you're going to face a a continuous insurgency from the Ukrainians themselves. Even if you take the government, right? They, these, they're not going to go away. Yeah, yeah, and there are people who are outside the country who are going to try to come back and help fight against. And there's going to be people that's going to be shoveling them weapons and food and money. And yeah, like this is not going to be over unless he backs off yep like you I, so that's what i'm saying it doesn't make sense why are you willing to risk this do even if you are a fan of the soviet union mr putin don't you remember what a debacle afghanistan was for y'all it was your version of our story in vietnam and it helped sink your economy and it helped pull your country apart and that's part of the reason why the soviet union fell apart so if you were trying to reestablish that that this does not accomplish that yeah uh, and, so know, that's what i'm saying i'm confused so let's just talk for a moment about the Sanctions. I mean, the U.S. declared today, yes, or yesterday, that we are cutting. We are cutting off Russian oil. Now today, we yeah. only. Today. I think we only rely on like three percent of Russian oil, but of course we're going to see it in our gas. Yeah, prices. we don't import much, but it's a global condition. It's not about us. It's about the global market. and more specifically Europe. Fifty yeah. percent of their oil comes from. So they're having to scramble right now. And gas, natural gas. And this is where I think it goes back to hit Russia because this is their main economic thing. If we're, if people aren't buying their oil. Their economy suffers. Everybody's mm-hmm. pulling out with these sanctions. Mm-hmm. The Russian people themselves are going to start suffering in pretty bad ways, besides the violence and the people dying in the battles. And How much heat can he take before they turn on him, you think? Would right. they turn on him? Well, there's some protests already. Um, I don't know. I don't know how, how you know, like, he, he, we see how popular he says he is. With yeah, but state it's, a, TV it's, a, and, it's a police state. They'll come march and take your stuff. There's no privacy there. Right. There's no right to protest there. He's allowed a little bit of this, but almost automatically they've pulled people down. Thousands of people have gone to jail just over the past, what, 11, 12 days? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. How do, is, there, is there any hope that they could do something internally? Or would it just take... Would it just take... I mean, is he never going away? I mean, I don't really? know, and I don't know with the cyber as well what all is going on. You know, you were talking about the fake news that's spreading that yeah. uh, this is not actually happening. It's actors, but they they found out. I saw that. I read that news thing you said. Yeah, me. yeah, I saw that. Uh, yeah, I saw that on British Broadcasting. The there's so much. Are people claiming it's Antifa? Misinformation, <laughs> disinformation. Yeah, there were a few good people there on both sides. I gotta give them credit. Uh, no, but they were. Yeah, they're showing stuff like, oh, these are bloody actors. Look at them. They're painting faces, and it was from a TV show right. from a couple of years ago. They were, or you know, or a movie set or something. They were filming there. There, uh, the, there was another one. that was like, see the body bags, and and the, there's a guy that moves, and see, haha, this is it's a fake. The whole thing's fake. Well, that was from a protest that had taken place years ago. Like they're they're recycling this footage and these things to, and, and mislabeling them so people will think that. I, 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 but I'll bet there are people who are like, it's a hoax. I bet there are people here who maybe yesterday believed that this was true and then today would be like, man, I don't know. That's how. That's how. I saw one dude from Texas went to go fight with the Ukrainians. He fight like, against them? No, fight with them. Oh, fight for for them for against them Russia from like Texas, and yeah. he didn't look like he should. Stevens Seagal. Oh yeah, there's another. That's another <laughs> great story. Jeez, it's funny because we're we're doing Cold War stuff, but we're doing it in the modern times where we get to see it all on the internet, and you don't know how it like Russian bots. You don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna go fight for the Ukraine. You know, like you could, you literally could have Russian bots stirring up people around the world to mm-hmm. go do things. Yeah, or you could have other misinformation to stir up people against Russia. I'm sure there's a there's a whole war going on in just that field. I just don't know what he considers to be a win in this scenario because you have stepped so hard. Yeah, what are yes. 
I know. Wow. What are you trying to accomplish here? As much history as you and I know, and having seen horrible things happen, like we can look back on it and go, okay, here was the strategy there. I can't, I, like I said, the only thing I can go back to is what we said originally, was I still think that he wants that eastern third or, or that quarter over there, and maybe this is just overkill to get that done. I'm hoping that's I, it. Maybe, I think that's but, the best and, case. And if, and if that's the case, then maybe they can negotiate. They keep negotiating. They've they've met several times now, and maybe they can finally come to terms with that, you know. But if the, if he's going to try to take the whole country, I just think it's a mistake. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole thing is a mistake, but I think that's the bigger mistake, to think that you could control this long term. So I've been teaching World War II in class lately, and, of course, it wasn't long ago I was teaching World War I. And of course, being world history, you're constantly talking about battles. But let's mm-hmm. just let's think about because we were talking about this before the podcast. Just thinking about like the most influential battles because it's interesting when you think about wars. We don't we don't generally have wars like we used to. Like there's a war and Remember you have the good it old days. Yeah. Um, but if you look at history, what are the most influential battles that have ever? Occurred. Let's just come up with the top three. And you're the world history guy, so I'm going to let you... Yeah, We wrote I, down a few that we think are... Like the Third Punic War, mm-hmm. was that a battle or was that a... I mean, no, well, like anything, it's a series of... Yeah, it's a, like the culmination of, of like 20 years worth of battles. And, and like there's three rounds of war between the Romans and the Carthaginians from North Africa... But the, as the, far as yeah, turning point, yeah. So it's a, I mean, war because it, there's an extended period of conflict between them, and there's this massive battle, the Battle of Zama, that takes place in the in the Carthaginian plains outside the city. Well, let's uh, isolate it to just like long ago. Let's not do anything from the 20th century. Oh, okay. So yeah. let's let's we'll eliminate World War One, World War Two, and all that. Okay. What is what are some of the most influential battles that pop into your head from ancient history yeah. that really okay. changed the course? We could be very different people. Sure. Did a battle go in one way? Well, or I another? do talk. Okay, so I talked about that one. Uh, the the and I'm and I'm I'm struggling to come up with the date. It's like 200 BC, something like. What is this one again? I missed it. Uh, the uh, the not 200 BC. What am I saying? This is uh, uh, the Carthaginian, right? The Third Punic oh, right. War. Third Punic War with the Battle the of Zama specifically. Uh, I'm trying. I'm I'm trying to piece the date together on that one. It's two. It's two. I want two twenty. Been a while since I've taught yeah. world history. I'd have to. Yeah, I'd have to look up the specific date. But anyway, um, it's the beginning of the real strength of the expansion of Rome, because Carthage was the empire that sort of little baby new kid on the block Rome was trying to compete against as they're trying to expand their world. Mm-hmm. Um, I see. They get out from under. That would be BC, though. Yeah, so, yeah. So I mean, Augustus I want to say, is around. Yeah, two. It, it might not have been right about two hundred ish BC. I'm, I'm. I'd have to look that up. I apologize, but it's somewhere in there. Okay. The other one that I go to is like specifically, and this is like Greek history before the Roman stuff really took off. And that, and you said Battle of Marathon. Mm-hmm. I, I say, which is a that's four ninety. I say 480, and that's the Battle of Thermopylae between the United Greeks and the uh, Persians who've invaded. And the reason I chose that one instead of um, Marathon is that the outcome is more definitive. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a loss for the Greeks, and it's still, you know, the th- Battle of 300 and the stand at the Thermopylae. Okay. But the difference is that Athens was not under direct attack at Marathon. Like, they were, you know, the Persians had come to prove a point, and yeah, they were probably going to take the city a little bit, but it wasn't going to destroy it. Uh, but after Thermopylae, they definitely were uh, planning on burning that city. But to stand in that gap and to hold them as long as you can while they evacuate the cities, Athens and others, like that pretty much saves Western democracy. Like those ideals exist because of the sacrifice there at Thermopylae. And if you hadn't stood there and Athens does completely get destroyed and overrun, then you don't have that golden age. You don't have Socrates. You don't have Plato. You don't have Aristotle. You don't have well, yeah. the democratic process and the age of Pericles and all those things that re- in the rebuilding moment in the in the unity that you saw with them in the, something called the Delian League, which really pushed out those ideals that that Rome is going to use as part of its foundation. The the fact that it became a republic later on was founded on those ideals that came out of Athens and in that time frame that I'm just discussing. Right. When the when the Romans overthrew their Etruscan overlords, the, the the and they just said, No kings, you know, we're gonna have a republic. Like that 
sets a standard that we then copied later on, you know? So mm-hmm. it, all of that matters, and it hinges on that particular battle, in my opinion, because um, it, it, it essentially saved Western society as we know it. So I think that's huge. Yeah. I, I, when I think of, like, really influential battles, I always go Pizarro and Cortez because those were singular battles against just, you know, and it, it changed... You know, if you just think about Latin America, Mexico, these countries, they all speak Spanish. They're generally Catholic. And that goes down to Pizarro and Cortes defeating the Native American, the Incan ruler, the Aztec ruler of the time. So those are super influential. But I think it would have happened eventually. The Battle of Tours. Ooh, yeah, 730. I do know that one. Uh, I just looked up Battle of Zama, 202 BC. So I was right in the right area. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just I wasn't confident, so I had to look it up. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so the Battle of Tours that uh, occurred. This is Charles Martel. Charles Martel. Martel. So this yeah, is the like hammer. The grandfather of Charlemagne. Yes. So how, in your opinion, is that battle influential? Oh, that's huge because um, the, the group that he was fighting against were. Um, were alliances from the Umayyad Empire, which had basically taken over the 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 uh, Arabia, come across North Africa, crossed over the peninsula into Spain, and was then encroaching upon other parts of Christianized Europe. Uh, Charles Martel was able to hack together basically some sort of, uh, and I'll, I'll call it a piecemeal Christian army, to try to stand on the lines against the uh, movement of, of Islamic forces. There was no guarantee that they were going to actually build an army. They were relatively inexperienced. The, 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 the Islamic armies were seemingly unstoppable, uh, but they clashed there at Tours, which is, uh, I'm not sure how far away it is from Paris. It's southwest of Paris. Um, but, ha- but when the Christian armies do win that war, it sets a dividing line between themselves and, and, um, and what we would consider m- Moorish... Uh, Spain, more meaning M O O R S, the Moors were like North African Islamic dudes, right? But they're allied right. with the Umayyads. So, so you have Islamic Spain, and you have Christian Europe, and that dividing line is pretty much right there in the. I mean, it's a, it's a little further north than what the modern border is, you know. So that I think that's big because um, without. Charles Martel, and you don't end up getting the Charlemagne story in the defense of the papal states, and you know, uh, Europe, European history becomes very different at that point. You could have French had history Islam definitely becomes spread Yeah, yeah, it all could. through Europe. Sure, it could have, and um, and there, I mean, there's different arguments on whether that would have been better. You know, so I'm not criticizing that one way or the other. I'm just saying it's it does make a difference in what happens later on. Which eventually leads to the rise of new Christian kingdoms in the northern part of what's now Spain and Portugal, which then expands southward mm-hmm. as the Islamic power starts to fade, because nothing lasts forever, uh, you know, politically, and so they'll fade, 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 and then eventually you have the reestablishment of Castile and Aragon, and they'll get together, and next thing you know, here comes Columbus, and you know, yeah, it, yeah, it, it makes a difference in in whether or not Islam is further successful in European uh, territorial gains. And and that would change culture. It would change dynamics. It would change uh, wealth and status for a lot of different people. Like a lot of different groups would be unable to. I just think the map would be very different if that battle hadn't happened. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting battle to me because of the religious aspect of it. And you know, we we look back at history and go, oh well, that that had to happen. But it didn't have to happen that way. Mm-hmm. Nothing has to happen a certain way. <laughs> it did happen that way. But sometimes we forget that, you know, these were just people, and they, just like we are now, we don't, just like we were very, we don't know what's going to happen in the Ukraine. Yeah. You know, we're going to look back at it in history books, and we'll know. And, but things, you know, I, when people say, well, that was a simpler time, there's no simple time. There's no such thing as a simple, because we're, we're crazy complex people, no matter, go, go, I mean, yes, maybe things were very different, but simple I mean, yeah, go go into a Middle Eastern war, go back to ancient Rome and fight in the legion or be in uh, the first democracy in Athens or be, you know, part of a Native American tribe in North America. It's not simple, <laughs> you know, just like our times aren't right. simple. Hey, do you remember March 7th, 2020, when all we had to worry mm-hmm. about was just living our lives and doing yeah. our thing? Simple Man. times. Yeah, so simple. We, have, I mean, to think that we've lived through a global pandemic, and now the 
this this war which has far-reaching ramifications already, which could have even more, and we could also be back into a Cold War scenario with a threat of nuclear war hanging over us. Wow. <laughs> wow. And that's all changed, really, just that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. The last, what, 12 days? 12 yeah. days ago, this was, or 13 maybe at this point. Like, we, how quickly? Right. And my point is, like, if you go back 500 years, how many plagues and epidemics and wars did those people live through? Like, you know, what we're, sure. we're more civilized, so we think, oh, well, this is a complicated, but, you know, I just always talk about humans being complicated. Also, on a side note, every time I think of Charlemagne, my second year to teach, maybe, I had my wall people up for world. Mm-hmm. And I think Charlemagne ranks like number 98 or something, so it's kind of lower on the wall. But it was right by a kid's desk. And his name was like Jonathan Anderson or something. I'm going to call him out. <laughs> uh, but he walks in as 11th grade grader, like first day of school, and I'm giving my whole spiel. And I was like, you know, there's no stupid questions. You can ask me, and we'll get through. And then he, and he turns to me, and he looks at the wall, and he goes, hey, I got a question. Who's Charles McNee? <laughs> and ever since I hear Charlemagne, I think, Charles McNee. <laughs> He's Irish. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, it's going to be a long year. <laughs> but anyhow, okay. Well, so, okay, dude, so uh, all right, anything closer to home? Anything like any, because I always think about Gettysburg. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, well, I mean, the, the, the Battle of Quebec, people forget that in the French and Indian War, before the, America was a thing, there was basically winner take all for North America between France and England. And so you had the French aligned with most of the native tribes, and then you had England. And in the 17, what, 1750s, is that what? Yeah, I guess it was. There was a battle called the Battle of Quebec. uh, And whoever really, looking back, when this is once again looking back, whoever won that battle was going to control North America. If France had won, they would have taken the colonies. And then, of how, course, okay. So exp- I don't explain that. How? How? Because so the French had been moving in through Canada and down, and they're they're pushing down towards the British colonies, which are the thirteen colonies. Sure. Okay. They made alliances because they treated the natives much better. They were more concerned about uh, they were Jesuits. They they were more concerned about the natives being converted Christian, and trade and yeah, trade for yeah, yeah, trade. Yeah, yeah. And so they they aligned with hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Native Americans from various tribes. Right. Yeah, I knew that. Okay. And the war, the French and Indian War, which, you know, you're familiar with, um, is part of a kind of a more of a greater war, the Seven Seven Years Years War. War. But it kind of is sparked in America by George Washington, nonetheless, uh, as a colonel for the British. Um, And basically, it was just about territory in the Ohio River Valley. But France I mean, but you, when you say in, if they had, if the French had won this battle for Quebec, but this was the battle. Yeah. But how would that have transferred to colonial losses? Yeah, because, here you know what I mean, right? So, the, or was or was all of that was even was French was a, was British Canada considered part of the same colonial system that we were? Is that how they looked at it? Because well, I don't know that part. Y- yes, well, France controlled pretty much all of Canada. You had Spain pretty much, uh, and France started pushing down. You had France, Spain controlled a huge chunk of America. So, you, Britain was just a tiny little sliver of North America, right? And if France had won the war, which the Battle of Quebec was the battle, it was the one where all the forces came together, and this is General Wolfe and him being a martyr for the oh, British. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and we, so if France had won that war, obviously they would have taken Ohio River and on down. So it's s- part of the French and Indian War. Yes. Okay. Okay. That makes and you sense. could okay. see how they would at least cut off the colonies from expanding west. See, at no one. I've ever. never studied this battle. Oh yeah. About it. Yeah. Look at the Battle of Quebec. I think it's the most important battle in the Western Hemisphere. Oh wow. Besides okay. maybe, like I said, Pizarro Cortez that happened mm. a few hundred years. But for American history, I mean, it's not American history yet because, but well, the French the and Indian history War, of the Americas, right? And as you know, the French and Indian War by England putting everything into this, they go into great debt. Mm-hmm. And of course, they raise taxes. Sure, sure. And twenty-five years later, you have the American Revolution. Yeah, I do throw those connections. Yeah. So it's kind of like World War One leads to World War Two. The French and Indian War is right into the American Revolution, and of course, America becomes what it becomes. And you could see how if they we lose the Battle of Quebec, there is it was no all manifest destiny. It was all designed <laughs> by the Creator. Yeah, I mean, France could have easily won that battle, won the war. So how did they lose? 
How did they lose that battle? I, well, they were just less densely populated, apparently. They didn't have the uh, Navy that the... I mean, they had a, a decent Navy, but be, it has to do with trade routes. Did the Native allies I would not ha- show up in force like they thought they would? Is that well, part a couple of, it? of the Native allies fought with the British eventually. Um, yeah. But I don't know exactly the the reasons. I mean... The the prime the, not the prime minister but the guy that took over the war basically he was given a blank check to defeat the French like whatever it takes we're going to defeat the French in North America and I think it was the will of the British to throw everything it, like I said they went into great debt um, to to win Britain so, had uh, a stronger Brit- uh, industry at that time too industrial process mm-hmm. they also helped. had a closer con- yeah they had a closer mercantilist connection with the colonies they were unified up and down the french were more sparsely populated mm. it was harder to have lines of supplies coming yeah. from france that makes sense and i think if they did just they just drug out the war i mean it started in 1750 or whatever 1763 is when the treaty but yeah i think but you could just see how if france had won it how maybe there's no united states France must have been really, really happy by the time they decided to help us, like whoop up back on the British and get us free. Like they had to be some, like some a little bit of payback, you know, a little bit of tap back. Yeah, see what happens. Yeah, because it wasn't that long after. No, because that when that war ends in sixty three, right? Mm-hmm. French and Indian War. Yep, and it's not much longer. Basically, their colonies are stripped away, and you would think that would really weaken the British, but the British are just getting going. Yeah, sure, you know, right. Eighteen hundreds. Uh, they're going to keep rolling. That we were, and, I, th- and if I remember right, it seems like we talked to some of our friends in Britain about this. They were like, yeah, we don't really talk much about y'all. <laughs> I mean, not because they're embarrassed, but because it didn't really change their course of history that much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of hurts our feelings because we're like, no, you you miss us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they you didn't needed really. us. <laughs> <laughs> they're coming back in 1812 anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, and that was uh, they did they whooped up on us pretty good in that one, uh, but at least we got the Star Spangled Banner out of it. Hey, yeah. So, have you seen that flag too? The real one? It's in the, it's in oh. DC. It's, in, it, it's either I don't remember if it's in the National Archives or if it's in one of the Smithsonian's. I know of the I've one that it. was actually on the, yeah, the yeah. ship. Oh wow, hmm, that's awesome. Anyway. Yeah, there's so much history. That, that I told my kids today. I said like this classroom stuff is not the best way to teach history. I wish I could just take you. Like we, let's just end okay, on this. Yeah, We're about so, to go on a tour to Greece and Italy, mm-hmm. and it, it, go, going back to America real quick. I told my kids, like, look, I, I, yeah, but we need a semester to make sure everybody knows the basic history. But then I take you to Philadelphia, to Boston. So we are about to embark in a couple weeks, <laughs> God willing, um, to Italy and Greece. Now, you are the world history guru. You're mm-hmm. about to see some big world history things. You've been to Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, this will be your first time first to Greece? First trip to Greece, yeah. First time to see Athens. Um, so what it, give, you know, as we end here, give us some uh, things you're really looking forward to seeing in, in Greece or, or just overall. Yeah, just to, just to walk through the streets in the same paths as people who had such a dramatic impact on Western culture, Western society, Western thought, philosophy... I mean, to a certain extent, religiosity, because you think about how Greece and and Rome were the were the places where Christianity really took off, and mm-hmm. right, Paul does his works because he was Greek basically, right? right? Yeah. And then Rome was the center where you know the the church it founds. But then you have th- those two areas together blossomed and pushed and really sort of molded Christianity into what we can see today. Um, not just in not just for Catholics, but I mean also for Protestants because you know you stem from all that. Um, so to see the foundations of all of that, you know, to, to, and to marvel at, even though I know it's in ruins and it, it maybe it's, maybe it's cliche to say, I want to see the Parthenon. I do <laughs> want to see the Parthenon. Yeah. I wish it was, you know, not blown up, but at the same time, just to be able to see it and to admire it. Cause I've studied it so long and thought about it and to stand on the hill in the Acropolis and look out over the city and, and, uh, like, I think that's going to be really amazing. We get to go to Delphi as well, which I think is cool. Or De- I guess it's Delphi. I've heard I know, I've always heard, I've always, that's one of those things like Kiev and Kiev. I've always heard uh, Delphi my whole life, but then I recently actually, I've heard it go, no, it's Delphi. So, I actually uh, talked to two Greek students at Henderson, and they said Delphi. So oh, I, did so they? So I said, oh, are you See, sure? now I'm confused. Okay. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe they were tricking yeah. us. Okay, well, anyway, the Oracle. Right, yes. <laughs> you know, uh, but if nothing else, uh, one, of the, one of the things I learned first when, when you convinced me to go on that first trip to Italy... Um, was just to be in the landscape itself and to 
to experience the geography and the climate and the food and you know the like I said just to like roll through and see it and visualize what it must have looked yeah. like yeah and you're yeah, right you get the, you get a sense of size and scale and proportion and you go I get why they may have done this and this and that you know so yeah, that's like the, you that, know where the Arch of Constantine is in relation to the Colosseum now. I yeah, mean, I can you actually know yeah, that can, before, but you really know. Yeah, I can I can walk the city in my mind. I know where to how to get from here to there. I could do it, you know. And so yeah, but I can't do that with Athens. And I'm looking forward to being able to. to and I know you have the modern city around the ancient stuff. Same thing with Rome. But um, are yeah. there two other countries that you could visit that had more of an impact on Western culture and Western thought? Than Italy and not Greece, as, not as deeply. I can't think of anything right off. Because uh, we always hit other countries. Yeah. Well, this was always good for the foundations. Mm-hmm. And of course, I love Italy because you you do have the ancient Rome stuff and all that. Mm-hmm. But you also have the Catholic, the center of the Catholic Church, and you also have the Ninja Turtles, Renaissance painters, <laughs> and all that that comes yeah. along later. Yeah, so, so that's a the lot other of thing because I teach art history now. Um, oh, to, that's to right. go and see. Like, I hope we I hope we have time to get into some of the museums in Athens. I'm not quite sure what the itinerary is going to show us there. So I know we're going to go. I know we're going to go. Hey, here's Agora. Here's Acropolis. Cool. Can we get into the museums too? Like, what else are we doing? You know, right? Um, but, but also, like I said, just to see the land, to see the water, to to see that part of the Mediterranean and the Aegean and the Adriatic. You know, like we're gonna go on our little Adriatic cruise there across the, you know, across the water to get to Greece. Just to look up at the sky and or look around at the water. And Maybe just, I wonder how. You know. I mean, I wonder how far in our travels. Will we be away from places like Thermopylae? You know, will how will we be close enough for us to get a feel for what those areas are very mountainous, you know, but then there's the oh, water yeah. too. Um the, the We'll be a lot closer than we are now. <laughs> that's you know what? That is definitely true. Um Ooh, I think about that era. I think about the Battle of Lepanto. <laughs> oh yeah. By the way, you know, the where the where the Ottomans were finally crushed their their sea fleet. So that's a that's a major turning point too, because it stopped Ottoman expansion over the sea. Okay, so anyway, we'll be near that too. We won't be too far away from those where that happened. So travel, people. Travel. I'm looking forward to it, man. Can't wait. All right, well, that is History After Hours. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye.